You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, just for the taste of it, it's Jeff McLarge Huge. Ha! <laughs> I was enjoying the taste of oh. it. Just for the taste I, of I, it. I was like, I was like, oh, lost connection. This. Nope. It's the end of the show. No, no, good no. night, everybody. I'm, say, I'm there. Say good night, Jeff. Yes, I'm there. <laughs> yes, uh, as Bill is alluding to, we've had some some spotty internet here at my house this week. Yeah, we had a nice big windstorm come ripping through New England over the past couple of days. Uh, it's no secret that we record these shows many weeks in advance, but that's just a peek behind the curtain. Never mind. Pay no attention to the man. How you doing? What's going on? I'm all right, man. Uh, I started going back to the gym like in earnest a, a couple months back, and I'm just now not sore anymore. Oh. Well, I am right behind you, not really, I don't know who this earnest person is, but like, during, you know, during the fall, I keep a very hectic schedule, and uh, as of this recording, that schedule is slowing down a little bit, so I'm trying to get a jump start on it and get back to the gym, you know, before laziness takes over. Mm-hmm. You know how momentum works. If you're going, you're going, and if you're stop, you're not going. So I <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. I I enjoy going to the gym. I go to a, I, st- I I've always had good experiences at all the gyms that I've gone to. So I'm I'm not making complaints. It's but it's adapting to sort of the new reality of going, where there's a mask mandate in some places and not others, and right. you never know. Like they don't screen out people that are vaccinated. So it's like uh, I'm worried that I'm I'm worried that somebody is going to get ill, even though I'm vaccinated. Oh, gyms are filthy I don't want, anyway. You know. Yes, they are. Like, yeah, you you know, I, it's probably some variant of biological weapons grade athlete's foot fungus that's just hanging around there uh, yeah. in the locker room waiting to spring on your feet. But uh, gyms are very, very interesting places. I am. I, I tried working out at home during the beginning of the pandemic and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever the gyms were closed and stuff like that. And man, if I don't go to the gym, I don't go to the gym. If you know what I mean. Like yeah. I find it very hard working out at home. And I think it's because I don't have the... Ready, here's my new word that I, I learned uh, earlier this week. Uh, I don't have anything to, like, like uh, stimulate my hippocampus. Ah, ah. Oh, look at that. Hippocampus is the, you know, the part of the brain that keeps you... That's where, it's like, uh, it's where fat kids go to get school sometimes. Yes. <laughs> do exercises outside. No, that's where they go to school, the hippocampus. Um, <laughs> no, it's um, it's a part of your brain that's stimulated by entertainment. Oh. And uh, and that's what the gym is really all about. If you talk to people that uh, you know go to the gym often, you'll always have these great like gym stories, like just the weird yeah. like stuff that you see people do and stuff like that. Yep. 
my absolute favorite one. It was it was the same guy too. My friend and I always used to like come up with nicknames for people. And mm-hmm. this guy's name was David Lee Rodriguez. He was this. <laughs> and the reason why he was that was he was this like uh, Puerto Rican dude. And he came up to like say hello to his friends. And he greeted mm-hmm. them with this like scissor kick straight out of the Van Halen jump video. <laughs> like, like that's how he said hello. And then later on, I saw David Lee Rodriguez, not the same day, but like it was another day, in the bathroom, right? And (laughs) this is like one of my favorite stories. You know how the urinals have the little partitions in between them, right? Yes. This dingaling is over there doing tricep dips in the bathroom on the the urinal partitions. It's like, hey, uh, Dave, there's a whole room full of equipment out there. You don't have to go... (laughs) Unless you're trying to, like, shake out a yeah. weed. Hold on a minute. I'm just trying to squeeze uh, in a, a, a quick set. Hold on. And, and admittedly, I have enjoyed, like, the videos on YouTube of people eating pizza on gym equipment yes. at <laughs> Planet Fitness. Those are pretty funny. I, I had a great experience at that gym. That was the first real gym that I really went to a lot. Planet Fitness? Yeah. Yeah, Planet I Fitness. remember I went and, there with uh, you whenever I stayed up there. And I just yep. wanted a day pass. And the guy charged me for the whole month. 20 bucks. And I was like, really? Yeah. They're like, yeah, that's what it costs to bring a member in. And I'm like, he's not a member. They're like, twenty bucks. Fine. Yeah, he's like, well, we think that you're gonna love this. They're gonna, you're gonna keep coming back. I go, I got news for you. I'm not. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you the. Yeah, they think this is like, we'll give you the twenty bucks back. You know, off your annual membership. And you're like, I don't even live in this state, yeah. guy. <laughs> well, do you have one? Di- you know, he asked me where I live. He's like, do you have one down near you? I go, yeah, it's on the other side of the city. That's why I don't go there. So. Uh... This is actually one of those discussions that could go on and on and on and on and on. Maybe we'll, yes, but we can't yeah, let maybe that. Maybe we'll out. pick it up and and then take it on another. Ch- we'll do some more reps of this one later yeah. in the year, Bill. Uh, set two later on. Set two. Uh, but this is going to be the week beginning December the twenty seventh. But before we get yes. started, I have my very popular and always well received uh, trivia question. Uh, you know the album. You may have heard of this album, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Never heard of it. Number one selling album of all time. Now, famously, Eddie Van Halen, speaking of, uh, you know, f- former former band member with David Lee Rodriguez, Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> Eddie Van Halen plays a guitar solo on Beat It. But the yes. rest of the cutting crew, the band on the album, is another band, like a, like a famous okay. band. So if you take Michael huh. Jackson and Eddie Van Halen out of Michael Jackson's Thriller, you're left with an album by another band. What is that band? Huh. Uh, all right. Well, we'll have to think about that till the end of the show. Okay. But this is the week beginning December the 27th. And geez, is it your turn? Yeah, it's your turn to start. It is indeed. Uh, December 27th, 1938. The first ski mobile course in America opens in North Conway, New Hampshire. This does not sound like a momentous enticement to visit the Granite State, but the North Country, as we call it up here, or as I call it, Banjo Twang Country, <laughs> uh, in the wintertime, is, it really is. It's a giant wonderland of snowmobile trails. You can go all the way into Canada, all the way like to Nova Scotia, and hundreds upon hundreds of other miles of trails mm. that are maintained by the state. Oh, wow. So I have a guy that works with me that goes on tours and goes to different lodges that are just in the middle of nowhere. You can only get there on a snowmobile. So it's it's a big deal. And if you like the sound of 
snowmobiles. North Country's where you want to be because you're going to hear them from the first flakes until you can run them into the water in the lakes. <laughs> That's my rhyme for that. Uh, my experience with snowmobiles is this. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I have <laughs> no desire to be outside when it's anything less than like 42 degrees. And like a couple of years ago, switched over from one haunted house. I started working to another haunted house. My friends from the new haunted house invited me on a ski trip. And I yep. went, I went on the ski trip and I did, I stayed in the, the lodge the whole time, but I went simply because I know that when people invite you to stuff, you go, because if you don't go, right. they stop inviting you to stuff. So right. I went and everybody else was like, they went on their little ski mobile uh, excursions and stuff like that. Yep. And they, you know, they went skiing and I stayed and played retro video games with one of the guy's kids. And then uh, we also watched uh, like three Star Wars movies or two Star Wars movies and a Marvel movie. Like, yeah, just hanging out inside up in Maine. It, was, it wasn't in New Hampshire, it was in Maine. But the reason why I'm even saying this is there was one day where me and a couple of the other guys drove out of Maine and into New Hampshire. We went to GameSpot, you know, the big the arcade. Oh, fun, fun, fun spot. spot. That's it, fun spot. And yeah. while we were... It's a fun spot full yes. of games. And, you know, it's a big old... I'd say retro arcade, but it's not retro. It's been there the whole time. As we're going, we saw, like, more than once ski mobiles just, like, like crossing the road. Yep. Like a deer, but it was like a, yep. a guy. Yeah. They can go like 100 miles an hour. I don't know that you'd want to be out and it's like eight degrees out and you're going 100 miles an hour in an no. open-topped, you know, snow motorcycle. But you find your own fun, people. It's, yeah. it's all you. I live on a very busy through street. Every winter, first snowfall, like you only need like not even an inch, like a half an inch. Whatever it takes to have the cars off the street and then you hear it. All these dudes on their ATVs with these like thinly veiled attempts at suicide. Just like up and down the street. Like I said, everybody has their hobbies. Mine, I work in haunted houses. People think I'm a weirdo. But the whole ATV, snowmobile crowd, yeah, I don't know, man. Being outside and having forced wind chill on top of that on top of how cold it is that's i don't know this just sounds cuckoo cuckoo crazy yeah I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, it's it's not my not my thing and i i already don't like like noisy conveyances <laughs> that that don't serve a purpose like a, a purpose to like move people from one place to another as a group so yeah. I'm, I'm from the don't you know didn't your mom teach you to keep your toys in the yard school <laughs> having those things so, and then, like yeah, motorcycles, mopeds, and stuff. And yeah. being super quiet with all the snow and all that just makes it worse, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing that eats up the sound, so you can hear them for miles and miles and miles and miles. All right, so moving on. December the 28th, 1917. There is a, uh, an article that is posted in the New York Evening Mail by a man named H.L. Mencken. Oh, H.L. Mencken, yeah. The, the, he was a super famous newspaper writer. Yeah, well, he wrote this article uh, saying that uh, it was like the history of bathtubs. Mm -hmm. And he writes this out, and he says that in the article that bathtubs are banned in the city of Boston in 1845, even though he repeatedly stated throughout the article that it was a joke. Uh, the fake facts continue to this day getting reprinted in other articles, like there are people that believe that the bathtubs were banned in Boston in 1845. 
Like other things mm-hmm. that he said, yeah, other things he said in the article was like the first American bathtub was installed December twentieth, eighteen forty two, which is right. a little a little late if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> a bathtub was installed in the White House for Millard Fillmore, and that is still like a commonly believed fact, apparently. Right, right. And well, I mean, one of the things that Mencken did in his writing was he constantly sort of exposed the idea that people were generally kind of dumb. A couple of his quotes from other articles are like this one, which is, On some great and glorious day, the plain folks of the land will reach their heart's desire at last, and the White House will be adorned by a downright moron. Pathetic. That was like 1915. <laughs> and uh, and that just goes, like, there's so many things that people, like, believe, but they're just, like, wrong, but they still, like, continue to believe them. Yeah. Last week we talked about Venus flytraps. And it's amazing how many people will think or say, oh, yeah, you can put a, like a little piece of beef in there. It's like, no, you can't put beef. In, it doesn't eat. A Venus flytrap doesn't like chew and swallow, you know. Right. You can't put beef in there. You'll kill it. You know, can you imagine that? Like Venus flytraps just like killing cattle out in the wild. <laughs> oh, my God, don't get too close. Well, I mean, that was a feature in monster movies from when I was in the 1950s, like right, even probably earlier than that, right up until some of the Jurassic Park movies, I guess. Right. Not the strangest of ideas. Right. What's the other one? Like, you ever hear someone say, oh, if you die in your dreams, you die for real. Like, that, yes. that's a very common belief, right? I mean, you can't prove that. You can't even begin to prove that. We right. we don't have the, the capability of recording dreams, you know? No. So you can't tell what, like, what... Henry was dreaming about whenever he died of a heart attack. You certainly can't ask them unless you believe that a Ouija board works. A lot of people believe believe that too. Like Henry, are you there? I yes. was dreaming of death. <laughs> Henry, quick! <laughs> what are the winning lottery numbers tonight? Death. I can't tell you. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of dumb stuff that people hold on to. Like we live in a world where the Loch Ness monster and Bigfoot are. On the critically endangered species list, <laughs> except neither of them exist. That just that just goes to show you. Then the other, what's the other one? Is like you have to wait half an hour after you eat before you go swimming, or you'll get cramps and drown, which is not true. Right, right. Still practiced in pools and on beaches all over the United States. Oh yeah, I remember my mom saying that to me, and, and like I'm like, yeah, we have like a four foot pool. If I if I cramp up, I'll just stand. You know, it's not like I'm swimming, you know, for my life. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, that, that 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 time when I was just out of high school and was really depressed, if I stood out at Horseneck Beach with a roast beef sandwich in my hand and all I got was a soggy sandwich, <laughs> nothing happened. I'll I couldn't take myself out that way. I just said, oh, this one's got mayonnaise on it. Ooh. Maybe I will live. I prefer mustard. But anyway, moving on to the 29th. Speaking of Boston, December 29th, 1852, a woman named Emma Snodgrass... Uh, who's the daughter of a, a police chief in New York City, is arrested in Boston for dun, 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 wearing pants. I got two things to say here. One, Snodgrass sounds like a made-up name. That sounds like a character out of a book. And two, she got arrested for wearing pants in Boston. Yes. Curious. Because I have a very similar story, but I wasn't wearing pants. But go on. Tell me about Snodgrass. <laughs> She's an interesting person in that she seems to be somebody who is doing this to sort of prove a point before there was a point really to prove about like equality for the sexes. Yeah. So coming to Boston and wearing pants and getting herself ar- arrested, 
she it probably wouldn't have happened, but it ended up in the newspaper. Like a newspaper reporter is like, I happen to see a young woman wearing trousers walking around on Commonwealth Avenue. Dungarees. And, uh, I nearly died. Children exploded around me. Women fainted. I um, nearly lost my top hat. Bad. The Straw Hat riots wouldn't happen for 55 more years. But so she was arrested and they police were like, look, you can't wear pants in Boston and we don't have any bathtubs. So get out. <laughs> so they threw her back to New York and she came back a few months later and got busted again. And her hair was cut short and she looked like a guy and she was hanging out in a bar and like doing work that like boys, teenage boys did. Yeah. Because she kind of looked like one. She got arrested a couple more times, too. And ultimately ended up being shipped back to New York and told not to come back to Boston. Take your pants with you and get out. <laughs> Here's five cents so you can go see the leopard. Take your dungarees and get out of here, you Yankees fan. <laughs> and what year was this? 1852. My God, the New York-Boston rivalry has been going on since the right? two cities even existed, I think. And I'm sure there was some guy in Boston going like, Hey, Charlie, <laughs> we ought to go down to New York. Hey, you got a dress? Yeah, 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 get one. Yeah. You know? I'll wear my bloomers. <laughs> I'm going to wear my wife's hat. I'm going to wear my bloomers, kid. It'll be wicked awesome. <laughs> We're going to get wasted. <laughs> By the way, what's this bathtub I keep hearing about? All right, so next up is the uh, December the 30th. December the 30th, 1953, the first color television goes on sale. Yeah, and that was the, at the end and the, and also the beginning of the first color television war between New York between New York and Boston, <laughs> New York and Boston between CBS uh, and between RCA. They had competing technologies. Yep. Remember, like you know, we grew up with like Beta or VHS, yes, or DVD or HD video disc. Yep. same thing. Uh, two different technologies for two different types of color TV. One was backwards compatible with black and white TV, uh-huh. and one wasn't. So which one ended up winning out? Because <laughs> the one that was the one that well, actually, they kind of both won out for a while until enough black and white compatible ones and signal changes at the transmission side mm. made it possible that both could kind of coexist, and then they sort of all merged together. And then Sony heard not backwards compatible, huh? Mm, right. I like the sound of that. Well, keep in mind, like, one of these TVs was put together by CBS, which also owns CBS Networks. So they're the ones that are going to transmit in CBS Network format. Sure. The other was RCA, which was format independent. Right. It just the quality wasn't considered as good, but it was backwards compatible with black and white signals. So you could still watch black and white TV on a, on an RCA TV, whereas with the CBS TV, you had to put an adapter on. Oh. Yeah. So, like, there's all kinds of confusions. Like, more things change, the more they stay the same. That all sounds so very familiar, right? The price for this original color television, which I imagine had a screen probably about the size of a Trisket. Uh, <laughs> the original color TV, the price was, like, $1,100. Now, you would just have for inflation in today's money. That's like $12,000. Right. That's yeah. ridiculous. And that's, think about that's it. early adopter money right there. Yeah. yeah. And like the only color TV program at the time was like the Jetsons, you know? <laughs> right. Boy, this is really worth it, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Blanche yes. or whatever, whatever yeah. popular name was back then. And that's how like oh. technology always is. Like you're always going to have the set of people that have to have it as soon as it comes out. Like Blu-ray players. Remember when they first came out? They were over a thousand dollars. Yep. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and then you wait like a year, six months to a year. I bought a PlayStation Three 
which yeah. was uh, five hundred dollars. Yeah, they came out. They were six hundred dollars, and then right. they price dropped to five hundred dollars. And I bought it for right, five hundred dollars. Right. And it was still the cheapest Blu-ray player on the market was a PlayStation 3. Yeah, and it's one of those, like, it's economies of scale, right? Eventually, yeah. the components become so inexpensive that you can put them in anything. Mm. I remember when buying a DVD player was a $399 investment. The first DVD player I bought, I had to save money for. Now, I can go buy a DVD player for $30 at Best Buy. It's brand new. Yeah. $30. It's like, it's amazing. Does it play well? It's probably just as good as the very first one I bought, but the technology has been shrunken down and sure. there's so many components that are easier to use and software that's better and stuff. It's just simple. And that's also a supply and demand thing too. Like right. you're going to have to wait another couple of years before they become retro. Right. The right, right now, cassettes are making a comeback, which is mysterious to me is I don't get it. Which, well, I'm sorry, what's making a comeback? Cassettes. Like you can- for, the, for the high fidelity that you can hear while you listen. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I also like CDs. Yeah. You know? Now I can listen to the 4 million CDs that I've collected over the last 25 years. Yep. I personally love my streaming services because I've anything I can think of, I can listen to, and I'm happy with that. All right, moving on to December the 31st. New Year's Eve. December, December 31st, New Year's Eve, 1967. Yep. American hero, Evil Knievel, fails miserably in his attempt to jump the Caesars Palace Fountain in Las Vegas. He breaks... <laughs> account with me now his pelvis that's gonna hurt yep his femur also gonna hurt his hip both ankles and i'm sure there's plenty of connective tissue damage too somehow in all of this his shins were okay <laughs> yeah somehow he, he the shins totally made it it's probably because he broke his shins 425 times before and they're like giant knots of of healed bone yeah they're like petrified wood at this point right yeah like petrified wood one of the many uh attempts that good old evil Knievel fearless motorcycle riding daredevil did um which sort of set the tone for people committing insane acts of death defying foolishness that one actually looked pretty good that one looked like like people were all like oh he's gonna pull this one off because yeah I mean, until the end yeah he yeah <laughs> he, he, he landed and then he just like couldn't stop and just like ended up skidding into like some sort of barrier and just yeah. like and smash like that. Well, I think when he landed, it's when he, his pelvis broke. And at that point, like you can't do anything with your legs. You're just like, right. oh, that's it. You know, <laughs> and I'm out of here. <laughs> My favorite one of his crashes is the one, one of his school bus jumps. Yeah. And like, as he's landing, you watch it in slow motion. He lands and it's fine. And then Whoop, whoop, whoop. That front wheel just starts to wobble a little bit, and it's like whoop, 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 and just bam! I remember the 13 buses that, and I remember watching it on Wild World of Sports. Yep. I don't know if it was Howard Cosell who announced it, but in my mind's eye, that's who it was because this is like the 1970s. Yeah, so I was, was, I was probably whacked on YooHoo and jelly sandwiches when I was watching it. <laughs> but I could hear him going like, "And he's not gonna make it," <laughs> as he comes down like on the 12th bus and just gets catapulted off and then him and the motorcycle are having like a tumbling contest <laughs> until they can get to the tumbling and then smashing into each other contest until they get to the ramp and sort of slide down the ramp and my favorite thing of all of those and I've watched a bunch of his horrifyingly stunts gone wrong is that he tries to explain what happened when they go to see if he's okay yeah like Super Dave Osborne like right. he's laying there and he's like are you okay evil obviously he's not okay yeah. he's literally like he's like a bag of scrabble tiles that's what his body's <laughs> <laughs> he's not even human anymore. And he's like, oh, it came out of the power band at the wrong time. I didn't have the throttle at the right thing. And they're like, is there a stretcher coming or a squeegee? Yeah. Something? I, it's like, if I could go right. back in time, I'd like to just interview Evil Knievel and say, hey, you ever consider the fact that you might not really be good at this? Right. 
Yeah. His son did the same thing, like, I don't know, 20-some-odd years later, right. right? Robbie Knievel. Yeah, he pulled it off, though, I believe. Yeah. The, he didn't come out of the power band at the wrong time. Yeah, but Robbie Knievel doesn't have a freaking awesome name. Like, evil. That's true. Yeah. All right, moving on to January the 1st. Happy New Year, Jeff. Hey, Happy New Year, Bill. So January the 1st, 1971, uh, smoking ads are banned on television. Yeah, that's right. No more. Yeah, up until 1971, you could have cigarette commercials in between your television programs. Sometimes on them. Yeah. Very famously, there you can find it on YouTube. There is a... Commercial Flintstones. Of, yeah, yeah, Fred and Barney smoking Chesterfield cigarettes. Hey, light up, Fred. <laughs> I wonder why everyone's going extinct. <laughs> this makes my teeth more yellow than the other brands. <laughs> Thank God we're not on a color TV yet, Fred. <laughs> it took a long time. I mean, they, it's, that started being a discussion point at the end of the 1940s. Oh, wow, it's like, yeah. hey, maybe this Maybe this isn't good for people. Maybe this is bad. There were some studies done that were like, hey, this, you know, we can talk about the medicinal value of this, but it there isn't any. Yeah. In fact, it's the opposite. It's like opposite day. Yeah. Oh, Everything we thought about that was good about this isn't good. Yeah. There are some, you know, health benefits to tobacco, but it's like, you know, the health benefits of jumping over Caesar's Palace. The, the bad whoa, way, way, way outweighs yeah, yeah. the good. And you can get the good from other places. Like, you know, the... Nicotine uh, has a sedative effect. You know, there's a calming aspect to it. There's an appetite suppressant to it. There's a, there are some health benefits to tobacco, but the whole, you know, cancer, emphysema, all that other stuff is, uh, it, it tilts the scale in a real sharp other direction. It, yeah, It definitely does. It's to the point now where I think print advertising is banned. Internet advertising is banned, and they're starting to ban flavored cigarettes and other things too and flavored vaping and other stuff so you can still see cigarette ads in certain magazines i think the type of magazine matters i don't know how it happened but i now have a subscription to sports illustrated i don't know why i don't watch have never watched sports are there cigarette ads in sports illustrated there are (laughs) hey do you want to f up your performance have we got the product for you Yeah. yeah yeah Hey, well, Sports Illustrated isn't for people that play sports. It's for people that sit on the sit on the couch and watch sports. Yeah, and like I said, um, oh, like you were saying, flavored cigarettes, which you know, cigarettes came in two flavors, menthol and cigarette flavored. But now here in Massachusetts, they banned menthol cigarettes a little while ago, probably about a year or two years now. I think that's going nationwide. I don't know. I haven't been a smoker in, I think, eight years now. Yeah, it's uh, 10 years for me. It's so crazy to think, like, because we've been so far away from it for so long, it's so weird that, like, that was a daily thing. Look back at myself and I'm like, really? I don't know what the, well, all right. <laughs> I guess I guess times are different now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God it wasn't back the trend, Bill, when we were young, young men to get in trouble for wearing pants in Boston. Oh, my God. All the times I've been in Boston with pants on. The anarchy that would have ensued. (laughs) All right, and wrapping it up. January 2nd, 1893, World's Columbian Exposition, or what's called the Chicago World's Fair, opens up in Chicago. It was purpose-built by uh, a guy named Frederick Olmsted, an architect named Daniel Burnham, who did this whole, like, sort of Roman Parthenon, Greek Parthenon style for the way that the fair was laid out and all the buildings that were purpose-built for it to house the exhibition. And it had thousands of exhibitors. It had millions upon millions of visitors. And it ran for a few months, and then it burned to the ground. (laughs) Heard the first World's Fair that was lit by 
electricity. So Edison's light bulbs were the ones that lit the the uh, promenade mm-hmm. uh, and all the buildings. Right. And it was also the World's Fair where two significant things happened. One was those of you who follow true crime. That's where H. H. Holmes opened the World's Fair hotel and murdered a bunch of people. Oh wow, yeah. The America's first serial killers, he's described. And, and two, um, I think that's where President William McKinley was killed. Oh wow. Assassinated at the end of the World's Fair. So it was a big deal when it was on, and it was the event. You can see fi- pictures and some films taken at the time because the technology to do that was just coming out. Uh, and it is amazing to see. If you think that the lines are long at like six flags, you ain't seen nothing. All right, so uh, fill me in. Uh, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, uh, which is the wrong cliche to be using, but what was the purpose of a World's Fair? Well, a World's Fair had a couple of different purposes. One, it was commerce. So a city would host it yep. because they knew it was going to bring a million people there that were going to spend a bunch of money. Right. They do that. They get all their like local manufacturers to produce things to show. And that would draw in national manufacturers and government agencies who wanted to show things too. Mm-hmm. And then other countries would also want to get in on that action because they'd be helping to build up their, their like the business class in their respective countries mm-hmm. and establish networking ties for things like transportation from goods from France to the United States. Or from the United States to Norway or to Japan. And it is both a commerce and a cultural exhibition of civilization or society at the time. Okay. Also, there was no TV at the point. So yeah. there's like, people were like, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Put on pants and go to Boston? Like, ah, let's go to the World's Fair. Are you kidding? We'll, we'll get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't even have bathtubs. Two things. One, um, I have in my attic souvenirs from the New York World's Fair, which I believe was in 1967. I think that was the last one, too. I think 72, there's one in Japan. I know that because it's featured in a Gamera movie. Okay. And uh, two, that was Disney's kind of like vision for the Epcot Center, which was supposed right. to be like a permanent World's Fair. Which, World's Fair in space. Yeah, yeah. In the future. Yeah. Which, you know, if you if you went to Epcot Center in the 80s, it kind of, I haven't been there in a very long time, so, and I know... It's a lot more thrill rides now than anything because, you know, people don't go on vacation to, you know, want to learn about hydroponics. So, um, but that was what the original, like, concept of Epcot Center, even whenever I went for the first time in 1990, you know, there was a lot of, like, oh, they had the land and this is how we grow things. This is the sea. There's some fish you can look at. Right. Yeah, it was kind of like the World's Fair in a permanent location, kind of like a, uh, a technology expo. So let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. All right, so December the 27th, 1975, child actress Heather O'Rourke, who everybody would know and love as Carol Ann from the Poltergeist films. Yes. Now, her career was cut short by an illness, if I am not mistaken. Yes, she had Crohn's disease. And she was really, you know, sick going into filming Poltergeist 3. Like, if you see... And please don't. Save yourself an hour and a half of life. Um, yeah, it's not yeah go do some other stuff. But we watched Poltergeist 3 as part of my virtual movie night thing there last year. Wow, there's a really deep drop-off in quality in between Poltergeist 1 and 2 and then 3. And Heather O'Rourke was sick in part 3. You could see it. Her face was like really bloated and chubby, and that's because she had Crohn's. She ended up passing away, I think, before the movie even came out. Well, it saved her having to see the premiere, if that's the yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She got off lucky, I guess. This is a, a horrible thing. She got off lucky than we yeah, did. a build. horrible thing to say. But yeah, Heather O'Rourke. December 28th, 1946. Multi-instrument musician and person who can't go out in the sunlight or he'll probably die. 
Edgar Winter. Hey, he also has blonde hair and bangs. Hey. He does. Maybe they're the same person, Bill. Could be. Maybe they're a Frankenstein. Da, 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 da. He started, um, and we've never seen them together, so there's that. It's true. It's true. So what we need to do is go ask Rick Derringer if he knows anything. <laughs> I saw Edgar Winter. Yeah, he was part of Ringo Starr's All-Star Band when I saw them. He could probably play all the instruments in Ringo Starr's All-Star yes, Band. but they did Frankenstein. You know, what else are they going to do? Uh, I'm not surprised. And, um, I'm pretty sure Ringo Starr sat out the drums on that oh, song. Oh, you guys could do that one. Yeah, I'll be over here. Yeah. <laughs> they actually had the drummer from uh, David Lee Roth's band on stage. Yep. Oh, okay. So, but Edgar Winter comes out with what I would like to call a keytar, but it looked more like a grand piano with a with a strap on it. It was huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he well, he's the first guy to do that movable keyboard on stage yep. thing. He invented that. That's that's all him. He invented it. He just took a keyboard and put a strap on it. You know. <laughs> well, it's one of those necessities of mother right, invention. Right, right. Like, how am I going to get this keyboard out to the front of the stage? <laughs> I know. Give me that guitar strap, Rick. <laughs> Oh, that's the only one I have. Give it to me. And he took it, and that's and history was made. Now he's got a brother too, doesn't he? He does. And a, like a famous brother. Is that like I mean, I, does. Johnny, Johnny Winter. Winter. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, an albino. And, is that running their family? Uh, yeah. Well, it, it, it does. The reason that they're both multi instrumentalists is because they had to stay in the house. Oh right. Yeah. So they learned to play all the instruments they can get their hands, which was apparently all of if them. If you burst into flames and under a forty watt light bulb, yeah, you, you're. Your options are limited, in the, I guess. Right. All right, moving on. December the 29th, 1947. Everybody's favorite bartender, Ted Danson, from the TV show yeah, Cheers. Yeah. yeah. He made the jump to movies for a bit. Three Men and a Baby, yep. right? He's yep. in that. He in and some other yep. stuff. But uh, definitely did a lot more stuff on TV. Right, yeah. Well, probably most famous for Cheers. And I mean, Ch- Cheers. Cheers ran for, I think, like, I think it was like 11 seasons or something like that. Yeah. And, hey, I think I've seen women wearing pants in that show. That show was set in Boston. <laughs> but you know what you didn't What's see? There was no, no bathtubs. Absolutely right. Ted Danson, uh, most notably now, for me anyway, is how fast that man went gray. It's like you saw him on TV on Wednesday and his hair was fine. And then you saw him like Saturday morning and the guy's hair was like white as like a goat. The guy went. This is the opposite of just for men. Yes. Man, are you sick of not going gray? Try just for Ted. By Old Menon. <laughs> All right, next up. December 30th, 1942, character actor Fred Ward, who you may remember was in Tremors, which was fantastic with Kevin Bacon. He was Kevin Bacon's friend. And he was also in the only good yet still terrible adaptation of the Destroyer novel series, of which there are approximately four billion novels. Uh, in Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. That's such a guilty pleasure movie for me. I love that movie. I actually just went back and watched a movie he was in a couple of weeks ago, a 1980s comedy called Secret Admirer mm-hmm. with uh, C. Thomas Howell and recently problematic Lori Laughlin. Yes. Oh, and so's uh, Kelly Preston, John Travolta's wife. Yeah. Boy, that's a, that's a who's who of whatever in that movie. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. But Fred Ward plays a uh, an, a very angry cop in that movie. He plays a good part. He's, yeah, he's always he's always fun to watch. I like him. All he seems to always play somebody that's very angry, but he's angry in a very funny way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep, it yeah. does. That's something he's good at, which is a, a real niche character. Oh, look, we're back here again. December thirty first, nineteen oh six. A man by the name of Leroy Edgar Bernie which is a funny name to have when you are 
the American Surgeon General who says, hey, guys, guess what? Smoking is bad for you. He was the first. Ooh. Yeah, he was the first Surgeon General to make mention that, hey, you know, inhaling smoke directly into your lungs probably has some adverse side effects. Probably. Yep. What we need now is like an attorney general named like J. Randolph Fentonow. <laughs> just get that stuff out of the market. Yeah, too. well, we could just get the guy from South Park. Truth's bad, okay? <laughs> I even remember, like, now the cigarette packs, like, there was not in America, but in other places, they actually have, like, pictures of, like, cancer ridden lungs, like, right on the pack. And there was, yeah. yeah, there was talk about doing that in America, but it never really caught on. Gee, I wonder why. But America, last I remember, like I said, we quit smoking, you and I both averaged nine years ago. You know, the cigarette warnings were like, this may cause emphysema or this will give you a low birth weight. And, you know, the, the warnings on the side changed. But I remember as a kid looking at my father's cigarettes and it just said, Surgeon General says this may be hazardous to your health. It was pretty vague. Yeah. Well, getting it, you know, again, there's a lot of money tied up in that. Right. It's hard to phase out a product that makes billions of dollars every year, even if it kills, you know, one in every 70 people or something that use it. Yeah, that's a pretty bad business model, you know? <laughs> definitely a bad business model. Think about the fight that it took to get seatbelts in cars. Right. Like, seatbelts? But what if the people want to get thrown clear of the dangerous wreck that they're in? Like, what, clone thrown clear through the window? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. All right, moving on. January 1st, 1879, and I picked this only because it allows me to demonstrate that I have a, a degree in English literature. E.M. Forster, the writer of books like Howard's End, A Passage to India, The Longest Journey, Where Angels Fear to Tread, and Morris, among short stories and other books about writing, was born in, in 1879 on January 1st. I include that because in college, I literally read everything he wrote, and I've I've been waiting for a chance to spring that on an unsuspecting public ever since 1994. So, thank you, Bill, for giving me the opportunity. I literally read everything. He, you just said that. That's fun. I used it the right way twice in the same sentence, the same but only word. said it once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's one of my favorite writers yep. because and, of that exposure. And I believe Howard's End was made into a movie with Harrison Ford. Am I right? Nope. Anthony Hopkins. Oh. Okay. But you were close. Okay. Um, they made a bunch of his his books into films. They made Passage to India. With Harrison Ford? Angels Fear to Tread, Howard's End, and uh, Room with a View, which is uh, the film that introduced What's-Her-Face from Fight Club to the world. I can't remember her name. She was married to Johnny Depp for a while. Uh, Harrison Ford? <laughs> <laughs> no, the other one. <laughs> Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and wrapping up our birthdays. Oh, we just talked about this guy the other day, but we can talk about him a little bit more. January the 2nd, 1940, American televangelist and overall son of a bitch, Jim Baker. I feel like I should just throw $5 at the screen. You have to touch it first. Touch your screen. But I have a touch screen. Yeah. What'll happen? It might stop the recording, Bill. It's a miracle. You know, probably the most famous of those televangelists, definitely the one that went down the hardest is Jim Baker. I mean, you can make an argument about Jerry Falwell, but Jim Baker ended up going to prison for basically a Ponzi scheme or embezzlement. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Came back and then started selling colloidal silver, uh, which he, you know, claimed cured everything. The only thing it does cure is if you're, you know, looking for a cure for not being blue or if you think your liver is in way too good of a condition. He also has a big, like, underground bunker condo property, like in, I don't know, Arizona or something, and he sells rapture condos to people who are 
sure the end of the world is coming and they're going to be left behind or they're going to stay behind. Yeah. And survivalist food. Yeah, he sells, like, rapture, like, backpacks and stuff like that that have, like, food and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think you're going to heaven, huh? Well, you're going to need this 10-pound box of food. Guess what they don't have in heaven? Snacks. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you seen his new wife? I have not. He ha- I have. I haven't literally laid eyes on that uh, guy since. One, he looks very different now because he has like a beard and stuff like that. But his new wife, man, he's got a type because she kind of looks like Tammy Faye Baker. Where do you find someone that looks like her? <laughs> she, Put that out there. I don't know. She looks like a groupie for a band that would play. The worst song ever. All right, young Jeff, what do we have in our canon to shoot to the moon this week in our worst song ever segment? Let me tell you, Bill, I was listening to the radio as I am known to do. And I was driving around in my car listening to the radio as I was running errands. And I was reminded of a band that I had scrubbed from my cranium after years of effort. Uh And then they were back again. This band is Tesla. You know, thankfully... Tesla, whenever you say the word, brings up a completely different vision now. You think of the nice cars, the nice electric cars. But yeah, during the 80s, Tesla was a heavy metal band, you know, named after They were the, named after they were the Tesla, yeah. smart person's heavy metal band, but all of their songs were the same crappy love song. Yeah. Except for one, that they, it was a cover. And that's the song that we're talking about today, Bill. A song called Signs, written by a Canadian band from the 1970s called the Five Man Electrical Band, world's greatest band name. Before we even get into the deep dive, here's our clip. Oh my God, this is, oh. Tesla was this heavy metal band and they put out an acoustic album called the Five Man Acoustic Jam. Yep. And they did a cover of this song, Signs, which was by the band, like you said from Canada, called the Five Man Electric Band because um, I guess Guys With Guitars was taken or something. Right. That wasn't their only cover though. That was their first really, really big, big hit. Yeah, that put them on the map, right. On their first album, they actually did a cover of a song called Little Susie's On The Up, which was by a band called PhD. And that song, the PhD version, is actually the fifth song that was ever played on MTV. But enough about PhD. We're talking about Tesla. Tesla, yeah, like you said, they were like the smart man's heavy metal band for, I don't know why, but they were. They opened up the door with this five-man acoustic jam album for what later became this acoustic movement. Do you remember that? Yeah, they were they, they were effectively the unfiltered cigarettes of the <laughs> heavy metal movement. And what they did was they were the ones that started to contribute to its decline a significant decline because suddenly you could be a metal band and you weren't dynamic or dangerous or threatening anymore. You were five long-haired dudes in jeans singing kind of country-esque type songs, but they appeal almost exclusively to the women in the audience that like metal. Yeah. And, 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 but not metal. Yeah. And every, every other 
possible person that doesn't like metal is like, oh, I like Tesla. We talked about Mr. Big not that long right. ago on this show, right? Remember Mr. Yes. Big? Who's famous for their incredibly terrible acoustic song? Right. But they're a virtuoso metal band. Yeah. But no one gives a rat's ass about that. Their virtuoso metal songs had a limited audience in the United States, at least, yeah. for people who like Motley Crue, Dawkin, Iron Maiden, and Judas Priest. So we have Tesla, who takes this crappy song from 1971, which is sort of smug and annoying, sort of hippie anthem, and redoes it, and it's still smug and annoying, <laughs> and it's still a hippie anthem. It sucks because it's not so much because the song is annoying, because there's tons of annoying songs. But it sucks because encourage record companies to make all of their metal bands do this kind of shitty music. Like and like lyrically, the song. I remember my friend Rob getting like really upset about the song. It says, you know, anybody caught trespassing will be shot on sight. And the guy jumps over the the fence and yells at the house, "Hey, what gives you the right?" It's like, "What gives me the right? I own the property, you asshole." <laughs> I got the D to the house. Definitely an annoying amount of entitlement that goes into yeah. that. Uh, the, like the most important thing that happened with this song is it opened up the whole unplugged movement where everybody, and I mean everybody, was putting out acoustic albums. Or they appeared on MTV Unplugged and released their appearance on Unplugged as an album. Nirvana did that. Kiss did that. There was a bunch. It was really, really, really popular. And then it started getting yep. really thin. Like the people they started putting on. Do you remember whenever LL Cool J was on? Yeah, actually, the I remember the rap one because they, they played with a full band. Yeah. A full band with a drummer and like an acoustic guitar player and stuff behind them, which was really kind of interesting to see the way that they were able to adapt right. the sort of funky beat structure for, for their songs. It was, it was good. But the whole thing, like it, the reason why I bring that up, I mean, it was cool... To have them on there, but the fact that they're playing acoustic doesn't affect LL Cool J one bit. Like, there was an unplugged episode, I remember, that they had with Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey's a vocalist. You put an electric or a acoustic guitar in her hand, and she's going to be like, eh, what do I do with this? You know what I mean? I remember watching her on uh, on New Year's Rock and Eve about three years ago, and if you put a microphone in her hand, she does the same thing. <laughs> she was unplugged, yeah. all right. She's a vocalist. What difference does it make if it's acoustic or if it's electric? It, it doesn't matter. Uh, so Yeah, they started... You know, painting that wall a little thin at that point. I went and looked around at, um, like, the history of the Unplugged program, mm -hmm. and they're still doing it in, like, MTV Europe and stuff, where they, they take, like, bands that are very popular in other countries, and they play, like, on, they have, like, an Unplugged in Poland that has, you know, a Polish band on it that's really popular in Poland. And here in the United States, all we get is, like, I don't even know, I think it's just continuous advertisements now on MTV. Yeah, it's a lot of... Uh a lot of reality shows and weird kind of game shows and all that. That's like a very common like bitch with Generation X. Like, oh, MTV doesn't show music anymore. And it's like, you know what? If they showed music, you still wouldn't watch. You're fucking 50 years old. Get over it. <laughs> but hey, you know what was very popular on MTV back when we were teenagers? Was Michael Jackson's Thriller. Oh, yeah, that yeah, was. Yeah, we're coming back to our trivia question, Jeff. Michael Jackson put out this amazing album, very famous album. You've heard of it. I've heard of it. In 1982, called Thriller. Now, uh, the band that played all of the music on that album was a famous band. If you take Michael Jackson and the aforementioned Eddie Van Halen out of the Thriller album, you're left with a band. What band are you left with? Uh, that's that's my answer. You could easily say the Beatles, but it's because Paul McCartney's on that album too. But 
He was only a guest vocalist, yes. but that's that's not what I'm looking for. No, the band that plays all of the music on Michael Jackson's Thriller is Toto. Oh. Yep. The members of Toto played all of the music on Michael Jackson's Thriller, and that's not all. If you were to count up all of the albums that members of Toto have been studio musicians for, it's like in the thousands. It's crazy the amount of music those guys have recorded. But yeah, Toto is the band on Michael Jackson's Thriller. You may think that their most famous song is Africa, but it's not. All right, but that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in about seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibbly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. Maybe they need to learn how to spell potato.